0: You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast for this episode of Staying in Ireland to be joined by Fergal O'Connor, the CEO and founder of Buy Media. Fergal, you're very welcome to the show.
1: Thanks very much, Rain. Delighted to be
0: here. Delighted to have you. Look at this podcast as a series of chapters through your life, challenges, pivotal moments, ups and downs. But let's start right at the beginning. If I've done my research correct, which I hope I have, you grew up in uh, Newbridge in Kildare. That's right.
1: Yeah. You Excellent. Have, you, you've, so, gone, you've gone way
0: back. Way back. Well, <laughs> let's stay there for a few minutes and tell me what was it like growing up? Any favorite memories of growing up in, in Newbridge and Kildare?
1: Yeah, well, I was originally I was actually born in, uh, in Dublin uh, and my father for 50 years uh, had a barber shop in Dunleary um, on Patrick Street. So I, I grew up above the barbershop. So that's, that's, that was where the first three years of my life were spent, uh, above a barbershop in Patrick Street in Dunleary. And my mother and father were originally from Kildare. My father's from Nace. Uh, my mother's from Newbridge. Um, and so they always kind of, I suppose, had the idea that they were going to move back home uh, mm. to, 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 to the home county. So when I was about, I just actually started school in Dunleary. I was the, I, I had started the primary school and then, uh, after the first year of primary school, they just took a notion and said, "Look, we're gonna we're gonna move back uh, back down to Newbridge." So, I was there since the year since the age of four. Uh, Any or good memories, loads of them. But like Jesus, where where do you start? <laughs> uh, we had a great childhood. We started off way out in the country where I where our family home is now is a place called Rosebury in Newbridge. It's just beyond uh, Newbridge College, if anybody knows Newbridge and when we grew up, where we grew up at the time was the, what we thought was the middle of the countryside. And the house that we grew up in, which we're still in now today, or my, my father still is, is still in today, is now surrounded by housing estates. Uh, so, so we had this kind of childhood where we'd be running, you know, you're running through fields and playing hide and seek with my two sisters and my sisters and my cousins and friends were all around that area, and it was like, it was very kind of like idyllic countryside kind of childhood upbringing. Uh, but it's amazing now the way that the whole area has changed since, uh, you know, it's it's now become a, a built up area. And my my father's house is like a little oasis in the middle of all these housing estates in Newbridge.
0: <laughs> I I grew up in Ratho and County Meath, so on the border of Dublin and Meath most of my life here i've lived abroad twice in france and australia but um i'm renting an apartment in the other side of the village from my parents i still live relatively close to home and yeah. the where i'm renting used to be where i used to pick strawberries as a kid so yeah. it's crazy <laughs> yeah. to think that like what it was is. just a field is now um someone's house um exactly exactly before we yeah, move was- on from Guan. I was just
1: going to say such is progress, you know, I, well, I don't know whether it's progress, but that's, that's the way, the way things go. But yeah, it's, it's become, it's very strange even now when we, when I go home to uh, the home place and to just passing all the housing estates to imagine like when we were kids that we used to be running in those cornfields where all those housing estates are now just having the crack. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a complete change. As I say, I don't know whether it is progress, but such as such
0: is life. Probably, probably because we're on the commuter belt. You a little further out, but like, it's just cheaper to live out there. Uh, Exactly. You could probably buy a decent house for four hundred thousand, whereas might get a shed in Dublin for four hundred thousand. Yeah, exactly.
1: um, And it's interesting from a, I suppose, from a social aspect of it as well, and even the cultural aspect because. You start to get an intermingling then of like Kildare was always very Kildare when I was growing up there, mm-hmm. but now there's so many exactly what you've said. It's it's become a commuter belt, and a lot of the when the when the original boom hit, I suppose in the uh, in in the middle of two thousand and four two thousand and five, a lot of the people from Dublin that would have been living kind of on the outskirts, which was kind of maybe the Clondalkin type area, would have sold up their houses because they were getting like crazy money for their houses in in those areas and moved into cheaper housing in in Kildare which were much more substantial residential properties uh, so you get that real intermingling and and intermixing of cultures now so like I, I again I thought I used to think it was really kind of odd that you'd be going through some housing estates in Newbridge and there'd be a Dublin Kildare match on and you would see nothing but Dublin flags hanging out the windows I know that <laughs> <things just> are- <laughs> so you do you do get that kind of as, as you say on those commuter belts it's a kind of a strange kind of twilight zone of there's kind of a mixing of identities within the counties uh, that mm. you wouldn't have normally had before.
0: For sure. And I, I don't mind too much because my parents are from Kilkenny, so I'm a Kilkenny hurling fan. So, but I imagine a lot of uh, Meath people are not quite the happiest when their pups are taken over by dubs. <laughs> Sticking with your youth before we move on to All Good Things Business, Mm-hmm. Anyone who you look to could be a, a parent, a close relative, a teacher, a friend who you believed had a massive impact or inspired you a lot into developing the person you are today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say definitely parents.
1: Uh, my, as, as mentioned there earlier on, my, my dad was, uh, I suppose, an, ontre- an entrepreneur. He was a barber. He, set up, uh, he worked as a barber, as an apprentice, as a, as a young man, uh, and quite quickly decided that he wanted to set up his own business. And got a a, set up a barber shop in Dunleary and Patrick Street, and had be up until COVID. He's he's eighty two years of age now, and and up until COVID, the only thing that closed the shop was COVID. Um, he had been working right up to March of twenty twenty or whatever, twenty nineteen or whatever year it was. We we had to do the shutdown, um, and he had no intention of retiring. No intention. (laughs) Like I, I, we talked to him as a family about saying, you know, would you not? maybe consider taking a bit of a break. You know, you're 80 Absolutely. years of age. You've been working for 50 odd years. And he's like, so what would I do with myself? So he loved He loved going into the shop. He loved meeting customers. He loved dealing with the public. Um, he was passionate about the the job that he did. Uh, no no kind of, um, no real ambition to do anything outside. No, he was no Peter Mark of like, I was going to set up a franchise of, of barber shops mm. or whatever. He was just very happy with what he did. But at the same time, for someone who was quite young, And in the 60s, kind of deciding that he was going to go out on his own was kind of a, it was a brave, brave move. And, uh, you know, just after getting married, just probably about to start a family, uh, it's, it's quite a brave move to go into your own business. So that would definitely have been one of my inspirations, I suppose even subconsciously like my dad always working and my dad always having his own business uh would have definitely been a a subconscious thing from my own perspective of how I looked at business and that you didn't Mm -hmm. have to be in a job and you didn't have to be to be to have a to be successful you didn't have to have a good job you could be successful outside of that that sphere and and the other person that that played a a huge role in my life is my mother as well my mother's unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago but um she was she was the rock that held the whole family together. And again, she she would have worked for a lot of our lives as kids as well. She was uh, she was involved in bookies. She was uh, she was mathematically a genius. Like she could work out all these accumulators in her head uh, just 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 off the top of her head by working out a few figures, no calculators, just being able to work out all these figures. So. Uh, But really hard worker, very social as well, very family orientated. And so those two people would have definitely played a a pivotal role in in my outlook on life. Mind me asking, what are your parents' names? Uh, Jimmy and Nancy.
0: Well, shout out to Jimmy and Nancy. Um, (laughs) uh, Marketing is something that you studied at DIT is what it was called when myself and yourself went there. Yeah. Um, Where did the interest in that come from?
1: Uh, to be honest, when I was when I was doing my leaving insert, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had, yeah. I had gone through a whole <laughs> lot of different. I I hadn't a clue, and uh, my my eldest son now is going through that same. He's just finished his leaving insert and he's very focused. He knew exactly what he wanted to do coming going into college. And but I was coming out of college, and I was going okay. I kind of like my my dad's involved in business. I kind of have an interest in business, I'd like to find, I was, I suppose, would have been quite creative and and into advertising and that sort of stuff as well. Uh, So I suppose marketing grabbed my attention because it was the mix of that sort of that, I suppose, the intersection of business and creativity. Uh, Mm. it's, It's an area where you can kind of you can explore the creative side from messaging and consumers and understanding behaviors and trying to create messaging to reach those people. But also there's a business element to it. There's, there's a goal, there's a, there's a Mm -hmm. KPI, there's a result you're trying to get out of it. So I suppose the, from not knowing what I wanted to do, I kind of fell into marketing really. I I knew I wanted to do some sort of business course. So I I think most of my probably CAO choice at the time were, were business related type courses. Um, And the college of marketing and design, which it was at the time um, was probably the most specialized kind of marketing college and and it was great as well because it was the college of marketing and design so you had that again the mix of uh, people who are really into marketing and the people who are really into design so there was a nice mix of students in the school as well so um, that's how it was it was kind of a little bit fallen into it but then once I got Mm. into it I really loved it.
0: And not given away your age but you graduated mid-90s um, and one of your first shows out of college, I'm, I'm not sure if it was your first, but one of them on your LinkedIn was founder of Educom. You spent almost 10 years running this business. And at the time it was a market leader in, I'm reading here, educational publication. So my question is, are there any standout lessons that you learned from your first business? I've had a few and definitely taken a few knocks, but from every one of them, I've taken a lesson or a key takeaway. Same question to you. Yeah,
1: it was it, it just from that dash piece of uh, uh, information there would have been a few roles before that uh reen mm. as well but um uh, and they and they i suppose it's good to give you a bit of context on that because it kind of formulated the idea behind educom uh Please. there was actually another business before that education promotions ireland was our business before that one um so the idea of the, the why behind uh, that business was basically, um, I was working for another company. I was working for a publishing company. So when I came out of college, I had a couple of small roles when I started off like, and if you talk about kind of like coming coming out of college with a marketing degree and getting thrown into the deep end of something completely different, I was working knocking doors in the, like selling burglar alarms and selling encyclopedias around Dublin. and i was like i was put into like some fairly dodgy housing estates in dublin to sell burglar alarms and i think it was the people that i was knocking on the doors were probably the people that i was trying to protect them from <laughs> uh, but so there was i had a, i had a few of those kind of ropey jobs coming out of college mm. uh, so when i came out of college it was like we were slap bang in the middle of a really deep recession and i'd say the majority of my class left the country um, and very few people stayed around um, and so you know now it it probably sounds really weird for people now coming out of college because they have such choices and they've so, they have so many jobs or roles or titles that they could go into. And, and marketing has become such a diverse area. But at the time it was like, you were, you either got a job as a marketing manager or you probably got into a sales role. And I, there was nothing in marketing at the time. There was no marketing jobs available in the country. So I instantly uh, fell into a sales, the sales side of marketing. Mm-hmm. So again, the only things available were these really rubbishy jobs, like knocking on doors, trying to sell people stuff, but it was a huge learning as well. You know, like, from coming out of college with, with, a, with a sense of like the concepts of marketing, right? And then you're suddenly knocking on a door in a housing estate in Dublin and you're trying to sell them a burglar alarm. It's like, holy Jesus, like the, from one extreme to the other. Um, so, but, you, but it was a huge learning as well because you, 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 you become brave and you, you understand how to talk to people. You understand what sort of messaging does resonate with people when you're talking to them in a very personal environment in their own homes um and out of that so from that then from those two ropey ones i got a job uh, with an advertising company uh, called keylon on eden key in dublin and again basically the role was uh, it was it was hard nose selling it was like we were two or three of us stuck in a room every day seven and a half hours a day making 150 phone calls on a phone Ooh. to businesses all around the country trying to get them to uh, buy advertising in uh, which were basically educational books they were like uh, at the time it was the VEC it's now the educational training board uh, but there were VEC journals, VEC diaries, and we would we would distribute them to schools free of charge. Um, and then we would get we, the company made money by basically selling advertising in, in those journals and in those booklets. So the, the that's the long way of telling you about Educom, because Educom came out of that that experience of working in that company. And Did, did you a get friend, a Medal of Honor before you started Educom for the
0: three four <laughs> years of just hard work
1: you went through? <laughs> No, unfortunately not. No. Uh, I was actually, I was, I was a year and a half with Keelan and I was the longest serving member of staff I'm after surprised. a year and a half. It was literally, people would co- come in the door, you'd say hello to them and they wouldn't come back the next day. It was really tough. Um, But, but out of, again, huge learnings, you know, that, that length of time of there, you learn to hone your pitch, you learn to hone your scripts. You understand kind of the buying behaviors of people. You understand why people buy things. Um, you understand the different things, that, that the hot buttons that make people interested and not interested. You understand how to get past gatekeepers on the door because you needed to talk to decision makers. Yeah. All of those things were huge learnings uh, that, that you never got from, from marketing in college. Um, so then, so then what happened was a friend of mine, a mate of mine just purely coincidentally joined the same, co- a mate of mine from Newbridge, uh, joined the same company in Dublin. And I, I didn't know he was starting. He didn't know I worked there. And the two of us ended up sharing an office for about six months. And we were doing that selling on the phone, trying to sell advertising. And after about six months, the two of us just said to each other, Do you know this isn't exactly rocket science. We, we, we could do this ourselves. Um, and so we went off and that's what we did. We went and we uh, contacted a lot of schools around Dublin. We uh, got contracts from the educational boards. We started to produce some of the yearbooks and the diaries for the schools and the same very exact same model. We were selling advertising to fund the production of the journals. Mm. And so you asked me, and again, to, to, to answer your question, the learnings from that, I would say, we're definitely at the time we didn't we didn't bring in enough people into the team. We tried to do everything ourselves, so we were doing all the accounts. We were doing all the selling. We were doing all the marketing. We were doing all the collection of the money. We were, we were selling. We were business development. We were we were everything in the business. And we, and we just stayed as a small team. And my learning from that business was that you need to bring more people into the business that you need to have, you need to surround yourself with more good people because the business, while it grew, it was never going to grow at the scale that we had the ambition for it to grow at, uh, because we didn't bring in enough, enough people into the team. So that was, that would have been, i say my key learning from Educom, um, would have been, you need a and te- you need a good team of people around you to grow a business.
0: Was there ever... And you can avoid this question if you want to any stress or burnout with that, having taken on multiple roles for over a decade of that business and not bringing in the people to scale it.
1: Yeah. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say burnout. Um, again, what I would, my kind of, my personality, my character is very much about Mm. curiosity and learning. So if I'm thrown into a situation where I'm running the business and I have to do, um, I have to figure out how to do the accounts for me, that's a learning opportunity. It's like, you know, OK, how does how does how do accounts work? You know, what's 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 debit and credits, what's ledgers, what's what's a cash in and cash out, you know, so you learn. So that's hugely important. What's hugely important for me is to be constantly learning different aspects of, of how a business works and how a business operates you know, it's mm. same thing like that, you know, a lot of people would be, um, I suppose, a bit have a bit of cold feet around the selling aspect of a business. So, you know, I just hire a salesperson, I get a salesperson, they do that bit, because Jesus, how could you be cold calling? And how, you, how could you be approaching businesses to try and sell to them? Again, that for me was a learning opportunity. I, just, I hated it. You know, when I went in, when I went into those businesses first, I hated doing that. I hated having to pick up the phone and ring people. But you just get used to it and you, and you learn from it. And so for me, it was never burnout. It was more of a I'm a bit of a sponge. So, so I just, I take everything in uh, and I go, okay, I, I understand now that bit. I know. I, and I also understand I'm not very good at that bit. So I should have other people that are doing it, but in the circumstances that you're in, when you're running a small business, you sometimes have to do everything. So yes, you could get hundred percent, you can get burnout. out. And it was more probably burnout out around the sales side of things. Cause that would have been the the constant grind. It would have been, you know, constantly, calls 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 meetings meetings meet, meetings every day to try and grow the business and that's where you sometimes felt or certainly where I felt uh, the stress and the, and the burnout around that but definitely not about you doing the other aspects that was almost sometimes like a relief and um, even mm-hmm. when I got into kind of like we would have produced some of the journals ourselves produce some of the books and uh, so I realized that uh, if I went to a printer with the design already done I saved myself a few hundred euros on each publication that we were doing. So I learned how to do that. I learned how to, to do layout and graphic design as part of the, of the job I was doing because I, I realized that it would save the company money. So again, it's, it's all learning experiences mm-hmm. I found in the businesses. And so for me, taking on the additional roles wasn't burnout. It was actually sometimes a break from some of the things I didn't like doing. And it was an, and made, made every day interesting and different.
0: Gotcha. Respect for the cold call calls as well, not easy myself and, and I know that I know that feeling of picking up the phone after that business uh, you went on to become commercial manager at Golden Egg Productions for three years advertising executive uh, at News Talk for nine months sales manager male advertiser five years head of sales for TV. a couple of other roles uh, and then by, me, by media before we move on it probably makes sense for you to take 30 to 60 seconds to explain to the audience what is by media
1: Yeah, so just again, I suppose to give a bit of context of those uh, those twenty probably years in between there between, (laughs) (laughs) because they kind of they were the uh, I suppose the formation of what by media became. So okay. From, from working in all of those different media companies. So I would have been working, uh, I, w- I worked in magazines, I worked in TV, I worked in radio, I worked in more, most recently then in social media uh, companies and, and uh, digital advertising companies. And throughout that whole period of time, again, from my kind of character of always learning and always taking stuff in like a sponge, I was learning, okay, what works well in what works well in radio and what, what doesn't work so well in radio, what works well in print and what doesn't work well in print, what's, what's, what's effective in out-of-home advertising, what's effective in social media advertising. So I was learning from all the media companies that I worked with and all the teams that I managed in those media companies, I was constantly learning, first of all, what media types were having the best effect with different types of businesses, mm. but also understanding, trying to understand for all of the customers that we dealt with. And over those 20 years, I kind of did a tally but before I started by media and either myself or the teams that I worked with had, had come into contact or tried to help around about 5,000 small medium businesses. So, <laughs> so there was a huge amount of learnings on the media side, but also a huge amount of learnings from those thousands of small medium enterprises that we had been dealing with over the years. And so what I, what I figured on both sides was there was a huge siloing effect in the media market. So again, I, I described there, I worked for newspapers When I worked for newspapers, I had nothing to do with radio, I had nothing to do with social, I had nothing to do with digital. When I worked for TV, I had nothing to do with print, I had nothing to do with radio. So all of the media market is siloed. They're all in these individual little silos. And so there's no interconnection between any of the media channels. So on the flips, on the other side of that, you had all the small medium enterprises. And again, a lot of the learnings from that would have been that they find it really difficult. There's huge amount of challenges when it comes to advertising for a small medium enterprise. They're up against big brands in terms of budget, in terms of resources, in terms of insights and data. And they find it very difficult to do advertising in the first place. And because I, I I would study a lot about behavioral psychology and stuff like that as well. And because of cognitive bias within people, if something is tough, they just tend to revert to something they've always done. So if 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 a small business owner or a marketing manager within a small business with limited resources is looking at print, radio, TV, out of home, digital, social as as an integrated media campaign for their business, because it's so difficult to analyze those businesses and figure out what's the best way to do it, they generally revert to what did we do last year? So they just do the same thing they did over and over again and never, never get a chance to explore other types of media or other types of advertising or other types of marketing that could be very relevant to their business. So that was the two things that I saw, first of all, on the media side from working in it for 20 years, totally siloed, no integration of any of the media on the other side, thousands of small medium enterprises who had huge challenges and difficulties when trying to acquire plan, purchase, manage, and measure their advertising campaigns across all those media types and that's what by media that's where by media was born it was born out of those two i suppose my frustration of been stuck in the middle of the two i couldn't i couldn't help the small media enterprises properly because i was working for an individual media company so if i'm going into an advertiser or a business and i'm working for a radio station i'm just going to sell them radio because that's what i'm there to do that's my job um but as an advisor and again i i would be um I would be almost biting my tongue talking to some small medium businesses when i'd be working for say a radio station thinking you know print or social combined with this campaign would be really more effective for this business mm-hmm. Yet what i'd be doing is i'd be obviously trying to sell them my radio packages because that was my, my job so again part of that part of the buy media piece was i would love to be in a position where i can integrate all the media on one side but I can also help these thousands of small medium enterprises on the other side to really get an effective advertising campaign that can help them to grow their business. And that's what I thought was lacking in the market. And that's what by media was born from that frustration. Smart
0: data-driven advertising or data-driven advertising is something that you speak about regularly. Um, it's said that it's like finding your way on a map. Micro moments in the customer journey is something you've quoted that like Google have quoted but interestingly, you shared a study from top marketers when they're asked to rank, and I'm reading my screen here in case you see me looking down. They were asked to rank um, performance over different methods uh, or over, over different mediums, right? Platforms. And the evidence had shown that rank number one, two, three, four, and five one was TV, then radio, newspapers, magazines, out of home, direct mail, then social media. So social media is number seven, and there's more. But when advertisers were asked their opinion, TV, online video, social media, cinema, radio, online media and social media had jumped right to number two and three. But on the evidence, they were online media wasn't even in the top seven and social media was number seven. So my question to you is how useful can data or data like this be to a company when wanting to target their ICP ideal customer profile?
1: Yeah. Uh, that's that's a, the report you quoted there from a company called Ubiquity, uh, and mm. Ubiquity are probably one of the, the, the most insightful uh, kind of market research, media research companies in the world, uh, and they did that report, I think that report is from about two years ago. And it wasn't just advertisers, but it was like the top marketing managers within big brands uh, that, they, that they interviewed as well. So it wasn't just kind of like, oh, well, these were maybe small, medium enterprise who don't really know much about advertising. It was actually marketers that were spending tens and tens of millions of euros and pounds on advertising campaigns uh, every year. And their, their opinion about where they should be placing their advertising was completely wrong. And their mm-hmm. opinions about the cost and what was the most cost-effective advertising was completely wrong and again i mentioned it earlier on uh, a phrase called cognitive bias and it's, it's something that, that we've really researched over the last number of years as well uh there's a guy called uh, daniel kahneman and he won an, yes. he won a nobel prize for uh, in economics actually but it was it was for more for behavioral uh cognitive biases around general the general population and how they decide to do things and what did how they decide to purchase things and what influences their decision making and on all the biases that can creep into people's heads when they've either you know heard a piece of news that is that is instantly in their heads so therefore that piece of news kind of influences their, their next piece of decision making. If they've got evidence in their own past of things that have happened, how it how that evidence Influences their decision making in the future, so future decision makings are automatically biased biased by their past experiences. So we we've researched a huge amount into, into this area, and that piece of research there was kind of almost like the kind of the the uh, this was the evidence that all of that research that we were doing proved. Um, mm-hmm. And it, and it is that that we we ourselves as human beings have these cognitive biases that we we let influence our future decision-making. So if I've had, let's say I've done advertising Two years ago and I got a really bad result from newspapers and a really good result from social media. The next time I come to do advertising without looking into any data or without looking into any research, I'll automatically do that because that's my past experience. But what we do, what those advertisers sometimes don't take into account is that things have moved, things have shifted, things have changed. Consumers' behaviors are different now than they were two years ago when you did it before. It's a constantly shifting environment and a constantly moving environment. And so again to answer the question is why why is data so important for that is because you have to analyze at every point in time where your customer is where the media market is and how the two of them match up together because there's no point in taking your own your own cognitive biases and your own opinions and we even say it ourselves internally you know we have to we have to rethink our own opinions every day because we we are probably the worst people to ask about advertising from an opinion point of view, because we've done so many campaigns. And so therefore we have opinions on thousands of campaigns. So what we have to do is we have to park that and say, okay, let's look at the data. What's the data telling us today? Where's this audience today? If this, if this customer if this advertiser or business is trying to target a particular, as you say, ideal customer profile, what, where are they consuming media today, this week? Uh, are, are they listening to more radio than they are watching tv are they more on facebook than they are on twitter you know so where where is the data telling us that this customer is and then make our decisions based on that now we can bring you, you obviously bring in your expertise and your opinions and your thoughts after that but the foundation piece should always be what's the data telling us and work from there couldn't
0: agree more i spoke to a, a a uh, highly credited marketer, speaks at Inbound at HubSpot every year. Jason Falls in America in Kentucky and he speaks about this as well. A lot of people make assumptions, but it's really data-driven that you should be focused on. Um, I, I have I had two more questions. I'm going to throw in a third. Uh, the third being uh, attribution. I had a conversation with a friend a couple of nights ago. He we was sitting out in his backyard and he brought out a beer and he said to me, he said, Renee, I've added a field on my website that asks people and I know most people will be like, don't add more fields, add fewer. But he added fields, yeah. ask people, how did you hear all this? Because when he was going into his CRM on HubSpot, it was saying things like direct search online. And although that's not incredibly wrong, what he found was that in this particular week, five people had filled out the form and five of them had said, LinkedIn, your podcast, your podcast, your podcast. So At the moment, over the last couple of days, I've been really scrambling around in my head going, how can we nail attribution? Do we pay attention to the vagueness of direct online search? Or how can we be more specific with like, if he had just paid attention to a CRM and got all the data for the next year, five a week, he sees online search, does that mean he pumps more into, into AdWords? But he would have never known that, 65% 65 percent of his customers come from his podcast. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on attribution and you know uh, how customers can get a better understanding of where the money spent is most effective.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's our business. That's that's what we do. That's Excellent. what we do every day. <laughs> uh, so so we have built. So th- so just to give you, I suppose. A, a bit of context around the platform that we build. So by media, the way I described it probably sounded a bit like a service. We're not, we're not a service, we're actually a, a software platform. We're an Enterprise Ireland high potential startup business. So we're at the heart of everything we do is technology. So we have built, we've built planning tools uh, that are basically based on a lot of that stuff that I've spoken about there. They're based on data. They're based on TGI Kantar insights. They're based on Nielsen research. They're built, based on 30 years of the Institute of Practitioners of Advertising uh, case studies. So they're based on JNLR, uh, regional radio, out-of-home research. So it's all the stuff that is giving us the the specific detail on a week-to-week basis of where that customer is, is in terms of media consumption and behavior in terms of around purchasing. So we've aggregated all that data, we've codified it, and we've put it into what we call our media planner, which is a business can use to basically find the media types that best suit their ideal customer profile. The next piece then of the tool is a, is a management tool, which uh, the advertisers can then use to for scheduling, for sending a ad copy. So it basically is like the, 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 the donkey of the media campaign. It does all the heavy lifting of getting that campaign live. Uh, The next piece then is the, sorry, the purchasing piece is in the middle, which is our marketplace. So we have a purchasing uh, marketplace where once the advertiser or the business has the campaign, they then link into our marketplace where it will show them where the most effective media campaigns in terms of cost, reach, uh, number of spots they get, et cetera, is on our marketplace. So they can buy and purchase the campaigns really efficiently and effectively through our our platform as well. And then the final piece, which is the piece that that you're alluding to now is the attribution piece so how do you how do you then learn from all of that so how do we learn what's working what's not working what campaigns are giving us the best return what 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 marketing channels are giving us you know a lesser return than others so we can start moving budget away from them and into more effective uh, campaigns so but having said that there's no easy way there's there's mm. no easy way to do it so and i'll give you i'll give you it from a couple of perspectives so if, you're, if your buddy who's doing the extra extra uh, field is looking f- to try and measure attribution and they're asking people, how did you hear of us or how did you come to the site today? I'll give you an example that might not be related to his particular business, but it, it's, a, it's an example that I would have been given hundreds of times over the years working in advertising for media companies. So the biggest, the biggest driver of, of sales within our business, and this is the story that would be told to me, is word of mouth, right? And that's true. Word of mouth is a huge driver of business. So why should I advertise? How do I know that the advertising that I'm doing with you is working? Because it seems to be, when I ask people, how did they hear about my business? They said, oh, my brother told me that I should come into you or whatever it might be. So the question I then ask them is, well, where did that guy's brother hear about your business? So where did the word of mouth come from in the first place? Is that person a customer of yours or... Could it be possible that, look, they were reading a newspaper, a magazine, listening to a radio station, scrolling through their social media uh, feed. They saw something about your business. They knew that they didn't need it, but they knew that their brother needed it. And so they said it to their brother. Do you know what? There's a business there in town that is doing exactly what you're looking for. And then that person contacts the business, whether it be through their website, through a phone call, drops into the shop, whatever it might be. And and they are asked the question, as the business should try and do how do how did this attribution come about? Where did you hear about me? And the person says, Oh, from my brother. So that goes down as a word of mouth rather than being driven by some sort of advertising or marketing message that the brother had seen or heard or witnessed and then passed it on to somebody else. So it's really, it's a really difficult thing to do. So the other way, the other, the other side of it I'll give you is from what I've seen in a marketing really well-run marketing businesses that try to define attribution of where it comes from. And I'll give you an example of um, a shoe, right? As a product. So we take the shoe as a product. So the shoe is the end of this attribution is the shoe is purchased on somebody's mobile phone. So somebody mm-hmm. is scrolling through a mobile phone. They see a sports brand. They want a pair of trainers. They click on the sports brand trainers and they buy it. The marketing uh, business, Uh, is looking at the attribution and they go, mobile is driving all of our business. We need to put more of our advertising and our marketing into mobile because that's where all the purchasing is coming through. What hasn't been taken into account in that circumstance is the guy was driving home in his car and he was listening to a radio ad about the shoe on the radio. He passes a billboard and he sees the shoe on the billboard near his workplace. He turns on the TV and there's one of his, one of his heroes is wearing the shoes in an athletics event. He sees an ad on the TV for the shoe. He gets a mailer in his post, and it's all about the different brands of shoes. And one of those, that that brand of shoe happens to be in the mailer as well. So it's all of those things that have built up what, what we call mental availability in his mind about this brand. And then when suddenly he's on his mobile phone, he thinks, you know what, I'm going to buy these shoes. But the the relationship and the availability and the awareness and the interest and the desire for that shoe has been built up way before that attribution piece. Mm. It's been built up in all that other advertising and marketing messages that his brain has consumed over the the previous month or weeks or whatever it might be. So the attribution piece, regardless of how you try to do it, whether it's data-driven, whether it's by asking people on a website, is really difficult to do. So the way we do it is, and it has to be over time, it's, you can't do it on a like per campaign basis. You have to look at it over a long period of time. And generally we look at it over 18, 24 months. It's the only way that you can kind of get enough relevant data. So we look at the, what and the way we measure in is the, the KPIs within the business, because that's really what we feel is the driver. So if the, if the driver of say your, your mate's business would be, website impressions, then that's what we try to measure and see what campaigns are driving website impressions. If it's revenue in the business, if it's sales, if it's social media engagement, whatever the KPIs are that are important for that business, then that's what we try to measure. And then we basically match those KPIs on a timeline against the spend and against the media mix that they're spending on. So if that's 10% on radio, 5% on print, 20% on social, 5% on PPC, four percent on out of home whatever that mix is we measure that mix and we look at what that's what effect that's having on the kpis of the business and over time like again it's not a cause and effect we can say okay definitely if you if we do this again it's going to have that same effect but over time our our machine learning and artificial intelligence on our platform starts to learn from that business what campaigns are working and what campaigns aren't working so well and what mix of advertising is working and what mix of advertising isn't working so well so over time again you can start to build up this recommender engine, which then can say, OK, well, if you're trying to reach this type of audience over the past two years, this is what we found is the best mix of advertising to reach that type of audience in terms of our KPIs within the business. And that's really the only way to do it. There's no, there's no silver bullet. And that's not, that's not a hundred percent accurate either. You know, that's not, but it's
0: the best, the best mm-hmm. that we currently have. You're definitely right. There's no silver bullet, but that's uh, remarkably more accurate than a lot. Uh, Second final question: If you had the decision-making authority to add one subject, mandatory subject to the uh, secondary school curriculum, high school in America, if any of the American listeners are wondering what secondary school is, what would it be and why? Um, I do you want a short answer or a long answer?
1: (laughs) You pick. Um, I, I my long answer is that I'm I'm currently working with the uh, the educational training board nice. to, to yeah to, to to do to introduce a few things that I think are missing. Perfect man uh, for the question uh, on, on on the curriculum at the moment. So one of the things that we've identified, and again it's 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 a, it's a little bit from a selfish point of view from our business's point of view, but one of the things that we feel it, it, is lacking in even people that come out of college, even not in not so much in the school curriculum, but. It's around the understanding of the customer and how that relates to media. Um, And it's probably what we're looking at creating is some sort of a a digital media marketing advertising apprenticeship program for uh, people that are coming out of school without those skills. Um, and that then they learn, but it's, it's not so much from a, from a theory point of view, but it's more about the practicalities of it. Uh, how do you actually find this data? Where are the data sources? How do, you, how do you pull that data out of these sources? How do you then relate that to the customer that you're trying to reach? How do you then relate that to the media that you're trying to place that advertising or that marketing in? And what are the processes that you have to go through to do that? So that p- the, the kids are, uh, or even the mature students that come out of that program will have a real hands-on understanding of how these things work and how they can implement them in whatever businesses they they go into. But to to answer the question from a short kind of question, what I'd see is really lacking in schools at the moment is an encouragement uh, around entrepreneurship. know that we we teach the kids how to do you know very kind of linear and i i think it comes from kind of an industrialized age of education of like people need to be trained for factories you know people needed to be trained to do specific jobs in specific factories so you needed to have maths or engineering or you needed to have english to do like secretarial work or whatever it was Mm. or law or whatever there were very specific tracts that people went down and now a bit like the way kind of advertising and media and marketing has gone. And that's kind of like all that messy journey that purchasers have to take when they're going through that, that purchasing journey. Uh, Kids in school have so many choices when they come out. There's so many different tracks you can take. And I think you need to be taught how to nearly taught how to think, you know, to think outside of those tracks. And, and I think something, it might not be entrepreneurship. It could be something like emotional intelligence. It could be something like, uh, lateral thinking, or something like that, but they need to be able to think outside of English, Irish, Maths, Geography, History. You know those specific subjects. And I think if they had, if we had another subject, and if I could add a subject to the curriculum, it would be something around turning students from doers into thinkers. You know, taking them away from that industrialized kind of education system of we're training people to do stuff. I think we need to, uh, like again, as a nation, it would be great to have this innovative education system where you're actually creating armies of thinkers that can actually then go and do whatever we need them to do or whatever they want to do themselves uh, and that it creates that much more of an innovative culture um, i think at the moment the education system is is two, one one track and one track mind and i think whether it's entrepreneurship lateral thinking emotional intelligence all of those things that can kind of bring out that uh, big box blue sky thinking uh, that that we need in this this country and I suppose in the world at the moment.
0: Great answer. And I'm delighted to see that you're trying to uh, put your impact on the world. So uh, that's put a smile on my face. Final question for you, Fergal, is all your loved ones are safe, but your house is burning down and you can only save one item. What one item is that going to be? Um...
1: It would be either the, the, the laptop that I'm on at the moment because it probably has everything on it that I've done over the last 10 years or a, a hard drive that's connected to my laptop that has everything else that I've done over the last 20 years so it'll be probably definitely one of those two things because uh, previously like you know in the in the the, the age before uh, digitization, it probably would have been something like a photo album or something like that of memories from childhood, but mm-hmm. everything everything I have now is digitized and it's on a hard drive. So uh, so everything that I would have from a memory point of view or special photographs or things that I would want to want to keep uh, for the future, I have on those two things. So they're the two things that I would definitely grab if I was having to get out of the building.
0: Virgil, <laughs> I've had a great pleasure in getting to know you a little more over the last 35, 40 minutes. It's been a, a very interesting chat from attribution to the importance of data to learning about uh, the legend that is your father who might go back to work if he gets the chance to <laughs> I wouldn't um, put it past him <laughs> I wish you nothing but the best going forward and thank you for being my guest today
1: Likewise Rain, pleasure and best of luck with your business too
0: Metro, no, trust you, I'm gonna Beautiful morning Get it some of my morning, baby